I so appreciate the Mammons and their just their friendship, their labor throughout the years. Like I mentioned, they came for us a couple of times while they were here when we were in Chicopee. They came for us once in Lithuania and uh, just a blessing. They've always just been a major blessing. And uh, we're just privileged to have him here this weekend as we continue on in our celebration of 40 years. Let's welcome Pastor Bob Mammon as he comes. Bless you. Amen. Thank you for the uh, opportunity once again. Uh, Pastor and uh, Carrie, a great blessing in your hospitality on behalf of the church. Much appreciated. Thank you all for your uh, giving. That is also greatly appreciated. Amen. And uh, we're expecting to hear great things down the road from uh, here in Rochester and all that God's going to do in this uh, beautiful building that he's uh, placed in your hands. Amen. Matthew 17, if you'd like to open your Bibles uh, this evening, Matthew Chapter 17. How many of you are uh, baby boomers tonight, along with me and my wife? By the way, baby boomers still rule the world. I know that's changing. I know. And it will not always be so. But for now, that's the case. So live with it. Amen. Now, uh, some of you are, uh, let's see, I think the next generation is Generation X. Is that correct? My kids born in the 70s, and some of you would be in that category. And then if you were born between 1980 and 2000, you are a millennial. How many of you are millennials? A few of you. And... Uh, 2000, then, is the cutoff point up to the present time, and you folks are generation, you don't even know, Z, you are generation Z. How many of you are generation Z? Oh, okay, there we go. Now, there's a reason for all of that, we'll uh, kind of explain that as we go. We're going to read a... Uh, Short text here that you're uh, no doubt familiar with. One of the great healing miracles of the Bible. And I uh, want to use the characters in this short story as a uh, symbol or a type of a couple of things. First of all, the boy in the text as a type of the current generation, and particularly that last group, younger younger folks, under the age of about 20 to 20, let's say 23 or so, since this is 2023. And the father then, as a representation of the church, the church at large, this congregation, and uh, all congregations that uh, are faithfully proclaiming the Word of God, and so, um, keep that in mind, if you will, as we uh, read the, the text here. And uh, uh sermon in, entitled simply Moonstruck. And uh, you'll see why here in a moment. Matthew 17, verse 14 is where we will begin reading. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him 
kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Now, I want to draw your attention to the uh, word in verse 15, translated in New King James, epileptic. And my Bible even has in the margin a literal translation, which is moonstruck. And some Bibles, uh, King James and other translations, will still use that. That word is only used twice in all of Scripture. Matthew 4.24 is the other uh, usage. It uh, describes much the same situation. And it's talking about Jesus who's healing many of uh, various diseases. And the uh, uh, epilepsy or the moonstruck individual is included in that. Let me... Let me give a little disclaimer here. I do realize that uh, in our understanding uh, and usage of the word epileptic, uh, we know there are sometimes physical reasons for that uh, and uh, a certain uh, circuitry kind of in the brain that's, uh, that's not functioning correctly, and that uh, is sometimes the case. I, I'm not discounting that or ignoring that, uh, but uh, I uh, want to be... Uh, clear about uh, what the Scripture is saying here uh, in this connection. And so uh, we're going to look at it from uh, that point of view. The uh, the word moonstruck, uh, uh, and, and some translations would use the word there, lunatic. And that is a an or, kind of archaic word, not used much anymore, has a kind of a bad connotation. But uh, uh, the reason it was translated that way is because they had the belief that some people were controlled by the moon rather than by reason. In other words, the writers of the Bible and translators were under the conviction that uh, some people were suffering from a form of derangement or madness, and they attributed it to the moon. That is probably not really the case, of course. But the point is, they were referring to a person who was suffering. A person who was under the influence of some very strong emotion or passion of some sort. And it uh, had definitely had the meaning of a person who was being acted upon by an outside force. In other words, they were not doing this of their own volition. They were not... Uh, in control of themselves when this took place. There's some sort of outside force, whether a circumstance beyond their control or, in some cases, uh, an actual demonic 
influence that was exerting enough control over that person to cause this very bizarre and destructive behavior. Note here that the father testifies that the the boy was often thrown into the water. It seems like this this thing was attempting to drown him or into the fire. This is a destructive spirit. This is something that would no ordinary person, no normal person would do uh, if they were in their right mind. And we cannot overlook the fact that the way that Jesus cured or healed this young man is he cast out a demon. Right? The Bible is very clear that this was a demon spirit that had gained access and exerted some measure of control over this young boy. We don't know how it happened. doesn't really matter all of the reasons and circumstances that might have brought this about. So again, to use this as a type, I want to talk to you a little bit here, secondly, about what we are dealing with currently in our culture in America and in uh, many places in the West, but uh, we're, we're here in America, so let's talk about that. And we are looking at a young generation that uh, in uh, many cases has become unhinged, that is suffering mentally and emotionally in ways that uh, are very puzzling and hard to understand for many of us. I think everyone would have to agree Everyone my age, baby boomers, we grew up in the 50s, leave it to Beaver area. Amen. It was different. I know there's always been sin and sinners, but it was different then. The schools were different. My kids growing up, born in the 70s, growing up uh, through the 70s and 80s, like some of you. And even then. It was it was a, maybe a little bit worse in some ways, but it was not like it is today. They were the the kids in school were not having to deal with the stuff the kids in school are dealing with today. Can you say Amen? I believe that just like in the text, we are dealing with many numbers of people, thousands of young people, who are unable to help themselves. They are being acted upon by forces and circumstances, not of their own choosing. And these forces and powers are, in many cases, destructive. Think of some of the things that the, uh, the kids are having to deal with today. The drug problem. Yes, we had uh, a drug problem uh, when uh, when I was a, a teenager. But it has not only not been fixed, it has increased and it has metastasized. Heroin is still an epidemic. Add to that prescription drugs, which has become its own epidemic. Opi- opioids of every kind. And then you 
combine the two problems there. People get hooked on prescription drugs because of some medical issue. And then when they can't get prescriptions anymore, they turn many times to heroin because it's cheap. And you get the same pain relief. And and sometimes, of course, there's the issue of the the adrenaline kick and the high that comes from that. I mean, I've got friends in the ministry whose children are heroin addicts because of prescription drug use that got out of control. Alcohol has never gone away. It's one of the great curses on American culture. School shootings, violence in the schools. You know, it doesn't even make the news unless there's at least 15 or 20 that get killed. It's a, it's a sad thing. But it happens now on a continual basis. We barely give it any attention unless it's something extremely violent and unusual. Think of the gender confusion that our children are subjected to. We could never have imagined that we would even be having this discussion. That there would be arguments and just it is incomprehensible. The kind of thing that's being promoted as truth. The last time I checked, when you signed up for uh, Facebook, for one example, that when you filled out your personal information under the gender option, there was something like uh, 57 options. That's insanity. But it has been mainstreamed. The adults in the room are promoting this in many cases and should know better, but either don't or don't care to know better. And the children who are vulnerable are, of course, doing what children do, which is believe what the adults in the room tell them whether it's teachers, administrators, or sometimes their own parents. You know, it was one of the, one of the black eyes of uh, my generation, the baby boomers, that uh, started the, uh, at least in recent times, started the do-your-own-thing mantra, and, uh, you know, just, uh, just do whatever you like as long as you don't harm someone else. And, and uh, the sexual revolution, which is uh, hailed as some great step forward, it was a huge leap backward, my friend, to mainstream immorality and perversion of every kind in the name of tolerance and freedom is a huge mistake. But that's what's been done. And so now we've got a couple of generations of young people that have been raised in an atmosphere where homosexuality is not only accepted, but it is a good thing and it's normal. And now, because it always tends to get a little worse, we're dealing with this transgender problem. And again, who could have imagined that we would even be having this discussion. But we are. 
And the kids are right in the middle of it. And young impressionable children are filled with all kinds of opposing ideas and it's no wonder they're confused. I was uh, preaching this uh, in one church and a teacher, young uh, woman, a preschool teacher, came up to me after the service, was talking about what she has to deal with in the school system. God bless teachers. You know, I know it's the, it's not the, in many cases, it's not the teachers that are the problem. They're subject to the school boards and the system and the powers that be. And those are, those are the folks calling the shots. And that's why people need to really be vocal about your school boards and, and uh, maybe even get involved at some level and at least, at least make your opinion known. But, uh, uh, this, this teacher said uh, in preschool, so, before first grade, four and five-year-olds, they have to begin to evaluate these kids and uh, through testing and questionnaires, give them kind of a score on what they call adverse childhood experiences. So this is very, very formal in this school district, wherever it happened to be. And... They would ask these little children about what's going on at home and uh, mommy and daddy, are they fighting and uh, uh, is there drugs and uh, all these questions that a five-year-old shouldn't have to be asked. And yet it is affecting them because, think of the title, Adverse Childhood Experience. Well, of course it's going to affect them adversely. Of course. They're going to get traumatized. They're going to, they're going to get disoriented. They're going to become unhinged. A couple more statistics here. Indulge me for a minute. Depression. Depression is another epidemic with both adults and children in our cult, in our country. Did you know? that there are no specific tests, either medical or psychological, that can clearly show that a person has depression. It's not like some some disease where you can do a blood test and say, oh yeah, you've got this. They cannot actually measure it objectively. It's a matter of questionnaires, personal information, interviews with uh, doctors and so on. And then they try to come up with a diagnosis ADHD, conduct disorder, uh, depression of one sort or another. And uh, the treatment options for children with depression are similar to those for adults. Uh, include psychotherapy, counseling, and medication. Of course, the FDA warns that antidepressant medication may increase the risk of suicidal thinking in children and adolescents with depression and other disorders. So the cure really is worse than the sickness. They give you drugs for your depression, which causes you to be depressed even more, to the point of possible suicidal thoughts and actions. I think I would not take that pill. But the experts, again, (laughs) the experts are dispensing the advice along with the pill, and so people... uh, People do what they are suggested 
they do. According to a recent study, number of children visiting the emergency room for suicide attempts has skyrocketed. This is a little bit old now, but uh, we'll still illustrate the purpose. Between the years 2007 and 2015, annual, in this country, annual emergency room visits for suicide attempts jumped from 580,000 to 1.12 million. In an eight-year period, and that was for children ages 5 to 11. So let me ask you, how does a seven-year-old come to the conclusion that life is no longer worth living? How can that happen? The most carefree years of life, at least used to be, supposed to be, first and second graders trying to take their own lives. How can that be? They see only hopelessness. They see despair to the point of a suicide, not a thought, church, an attempt. I would submit to you that this is a demon spirit that has been unleashed in this country that is assaulting the minds of children to that degree. Here's a, a similar but a little bit different statistic. These are uh, people measuring depression again among teens and young adults. They were looking at the connection between feelings of depression in that age group and the link to social media use. Listen up here, parents. So they interviewed hundreds of thousands of adolescents age 12 to 17, also young adults, uh, 18 and over. And increases in major depression were very prominent. Girls were more vulnerable than boys. And suicidal thoughts, plans, and attempts also increased. And... The rise on the charts is directly parallel to the widespread use of smartphones and social media. In 2009, about half of high school seniors visited social media sites every day. That's up to 85% today with Instagram, Snapchat, and others replacing Facebook It's not just the media, not just the screen. It is the amount of time that they spend on it, of course. And they saw a direct correlation between the more time spent and the greater the risk of depression symptoms. One quote from one of the doctors 
said kids are developmentally more worried about peer status and approval during preteen and teenage years. Social media exaggerates that process because it's so public, available, and highly visual. It's like taking what happens in typical adolescent development and putting it on steroids. And that's why, parents, you had better find out what's going on in your own home. And you had better monitor what your children are doing on social media, and you better set some boundaries. And uh, we talked a little bit about this in the men's class earlier. And uh, no, I haven't become Amish. I'm not giving up my cell phone. You're not getting my cell phone or my gun. Both of them protected by the Second Amendment, aren't they? Well, the guns are for sure. I don't know about the phones, but... uh, no, you're, I'm not giving up uh, my devices. I, I like the technology. It's very handy and useful in lots of different ways. But uh, everything needs boundaries. Draw, draw some boundaries. Parents, you are the adults in the room. And you need to set some standards and call the shots. I know your kids will scream and they they will convince you that they're going to die if they can't spend eight hours a day on their phone texting all their buddies, but they will survive. So I'm not here to tell you what's an appropriate amount of time. I've got my own personal feelings about that, but you have got to decide and you've got to establish some guidelines in this uh, whatever the screen size, you know, everything from uh, the phone to the 96-incher in your living room, amen, <laughs> everything in between, you've got to uh, decide what uh, is going to be allowed in your home. Amen. You, you can't, we can't, none of us can control what goes on in the world around us in this realm, but we can control what happens in our homes in our own personal lives. And of course, parents need to get some dominion in that respect first and then pass that right on down to your children. So the the picture here of the father, uh, again, is a picture of the church. And what, he, what does he do? He brings the child to Jesus. That's the answer, isn't it? This is a picture of intercession. The man came kneeling down to Jesus and pleading for help. He's interceding for his son. One definition of prayer is bringing lost people to Jesus. So the church in this generation has a job, and that job is to do everything we can to bring lost people to Jesus, and that includes this younger generation. We need to pray. We need to witness. You do have the answer, you know. Jesus is the answer. And you know Him, and you know that is true, and so we need to evangelize Amen. Evangelism is an expression of the compassion of the Father here in our text. And the 
New Testament church needs that as a hallmark in every one of our congregations, the compassion that drives us to seek the lost because we do have the answer. We need to bear witness to the truth in lifestyle. We, of course, need to live it. And in word, in testimony. And this doesn't mean we have to try to be relevant to a young generation. You don't have to act like them, dress like them, look like them to reach them. In other words, I'm not wearing no skinny jeans, sorry. I look silly in skinny jeans. I'm 71 years old, for heaven's sake. That's not the answer. You know, people have tried that. You know, churches, I've seen, you know, churches and youth ministers who are in their 40s trying to trying to re- relate to the 15-year-olds. It ain't never going to happen. I'm sorry. You're wasting your time. You know, the, let's hearken back a little bit. The Jesus movement, our fellowship, is a product of the Jesus movement, a genuine revival in this country and, and literally around the world. And the Sunday School series is talking about that, of course, a little bit. And uh, Pastor Mitchell was a redneck. He had nothing in common with a bunch of hippies who played rock and roll, which he still, to this dying day, could not stand. He never liked rock and roll. It, it drew people, and people got to say that's all he cared about. He just, he just, he was a country western guy, you know, if you're going to ask him. It, it, it is nothing to do with being relevant. When David Wilkerson, going back a little bit further, went to New York City to reach gang members like God told him to, that was in the, uh, the late 50s and into the early 60s. He was a, a little preacher from the hills of Pennsylvania. He had nothing in common with a bunch of gangbanger killers in New York City. But God used him to reach him in a powerful revival. Now, the the few that I know of, Pastor Mitchell, Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapels, and maybe a few others that uh, actually saw in the Jesus movement what God was doing and were willing to simply open the doors of the church and welcome in those young people. Didn't try to act like them, be like them. They just loved them and preached the gospel. And that's what God used. And I believe that can happen again. I believe that God has positioned our churches who have come up out of that kind of background and history to be prepared for a time when uh, we're all hoping and believing for it, that God will do it again. That God will pour out His Spirit once again before it all comes down. And we can see another genuine outpouring, a revival. And I don't think, uh, having said all that uh, I have just said, and looking at our culture, I don't think it's too much of a stretch, church, 
to think that uh, this next revival, rather than uh, uh, older teenagers and young adults, which was the Jesus movement, could God could reach right down into the elementary schools where this stuff is happening, where these kids are experiencing this kind of stuff, and begin to save some of them. And begin to sweep maybe thousands of them into the kingdom. Because they can't help themselves. And apparently the many of the their own parents and many of the so-called adults that are supposed to be supervising have lost their collective minds. And so it is going to be up to the church to proclaim the truth and believe God and open the doors to whoever would would come in. The way to be relevant is to simply proclaim the truth. Truth is always relevant. Jesus said to the disciples as He ascended to heaven, Acts 1-7, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in His own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to Me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That's all we need to know. We let God do the rest. In virtually all of the parables that Jesus gave gave us, the end times parables, the bottom line for the workers in the vineyard or the laborers in the field or wherever it was, the bottom line was be ready because you just don't know when the Master's going to return. Be busy, occupied until He comes, busy about the Lord's business, busy in the harvest field, and always ready in your own heart, always prepared for the coming of the Lord. Since we do not know the day or the hour, but uh, the Bible also tells us, church, we can know the times and the seasons. And these are the times and the seasons, are they not? Amen. Let's be ready. Let's be about our Father's business. And uh, let's uh, do everything we can to reach not only adults, but perhaps even a moonstruck generation. Amen. Let's pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed tonight. I want to give, uh, first of all, an invitation to uh, anyone here not saved, you're not born again, you don't know Jesus, you have never given your life to Him or you're backslidden and you need to recommit your life. Uh, Amen. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Say yes to Jesus tonight. Say yes to heaven and eternal life. Forgiveness of sins. He loves you, wants you to come right now. Is there anyone at all? You need to get saved. Amen. Tonight, church. Just wanted to uh, leave you with our short weekend here with a 
thought about the future. I, I do believe that God wants to move once again in our country. And again, the Lord has positioned our churches who have the heart and the burden and the understanding that it takes to open those doors when God begins to move. Whoever it might be. So I want to encourage you to just continue to do what you do. Amen. Faithful congregation here that's been evangelizing for 40 years here in the Rochester area, planting churches, and doing all that you can, even in other places, other churches, other cities. That's commendable. God's pleased with that. And uh, I don't think it's any accident that you've got a nice big facility here that'll hold several hundred people. That, uh, in my mind, is preparation for the future and what the Lord wants to do. So let's, let's be about our Father's business. Amen. I'm going to just open the altars for a moment. Maybe God's spoken to you. And you want to come and pray just before we do a couple other things here. Let's sing a chorus. I'm a-